and welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM and on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Uh, this week, joining me is Neil Bannon, Executive Chairman of Bannon. Neil, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Carol. Thanks for having me on. Um, so, Neil, I had the great pleasure of sharing a stage with you last week at the National Property Summit. and. Um, I think it's fair to say that the mood across the industry has changed. The uncertainty maybe is becoming a little less uncertain and not in the direction that we would have liked it. So you might just talk to us. Well, maybe first of all, um, share with the audience the type of work that you and the team at Bannon are involved in. Okay, well, Bannon are a commercial property consultancy, so we advise in all aspects of commercial real estate with a heavy focus on retail, about 75% of our business in the retail sector, about 25%, uh, mainly offices, a small amount of land as well. So we, it's been an interesting sector to be in over the last um, 20 years because it's been ups and downs. Um, and we, we manage an awful lot of Ireland's retail stock, about a quarter of Ireland's shopping centres and retail parks are under our management on a day-to-day basis, which gives us a great insight into just the health and vitality of the sector and what's going on. Um, the uh, we have a, a an active uh, involvement in city centre offices in Dublin, um, usually on the development side. Um, more recently, in terms of looking at the greening of that sector and how the environmental wave that's coming across the sector is going to be uh, played out. I, I think it's interesting when you talk about the environmental wave. I just saw this morning in the Irish Times there's a report on the future of commercial real estate, and one of the kind of general statements there was that um, non-ESG compliant buildings are really going to struggle a lot sooner than we might have expected that to happen. So what are you seeing across, um, you know, I, I appreciate that you're primarily in the retail, but across retail and the, the office space? The office space is, is leading this charge um, more than retail currently. And we we, we analyze, we, we're, we're data junkies in balance, so we, we database the entire Dublin office market and and the entire Irish retail market and the Dublin office market is interesting that in the CPD we've we've got in our database 460 buildings and 400 of those were built in the last century and of the 60 that were built in this century most of them were built in the early 2000s because we had a real flat spot in the tower from 2009 to 2014 so anything built before 2014 doesn't comply fully with current green regulations. So the vast majority of existing stock is not green enough for the corporate market, as reflected in that study you referenced in the Irish Times. I think we're going to see a, a massive shift. We call it the sort of musical chairs in the office market, that there's, everyone's looking for the, the green chair to sit on um, and before the music stops. And there is a uh, that shift is going to be accelerated now because the, the vacancy left by some of the pullback of the tech sector is going to create more opportunities for people to shift into green buildings than would have been the case heretofore. We have um, about 40 million square feet in, in Dublin, office market, 25 million in the city centre, which is where the main corporates are located. And um, so you've got as a lot of million square feet to be moved into green buildings in a relatively short period of time. Um, and we think that the reshuffle is going to manifest itself in um, some very well-located uh, buildings which are no longer suitable for office usage um, unless they get substantially upgraded from a green point of view or repurposed. Um, and you're going to see a lot of professional services firms moving 
um, into some of those buildings left, I think, by the tech step back. So it, it, there's a, in terms of valuation, probably a, a little bit of head in the sand in terms of what this means for valuation in some of those older buildings, to be honest with you. I think that the, the delta between a new shiny green uh, appropriate building is 60 euros square foot, 4%, and a, a similarly located but non-green building um, have not been fully reflected in valuations or the market. Moment. And I think that's going to be one of the big stories for next year will be how that plays out in terms of valuation. Yeah, you know, the head in the sand approach is interesting. Just before we started recording, I think you and I were just having a, a brief conversation there. And and that's one of the things that we're seeing shift in the industry. There was almost a collective um, unwillingness to look at what the data was telling us uh, in, in for the direction uh, for the direction that the market is going in. And, and there was that little bit of a head in the sand. And you know, it, it's, it's it, you know it, it's illogical to to see now, but through PropTech Ireland, we're still we're still meeting not just real estate operators, but we're still meeting developers who don't fully appreciate ESG, who think that this is a tick box exercise, who think that this is, you know, gosh, I've even spoken to people who believe that this is a current trend, and actually, when the market gets difficult, that this won't be a priority. Um, and it's difficult to imagine how that mindset still exists at a high level um, a- across the industry today. Because I mean, you you painted kind of a you painted a, a, what I think is an interesting picture of offices. Because the reality is, I, I like when you call it a, a reshuffle. But we know that real estate is changing, and that's not just because of um, sustainability concerns, and it's not just because of COVID. This was happening in advance. You know, you're somebody who follows the data. So it must be it must be frustrating for you, like going back pre-COVID, to hear a lot of uh, anecdotal commentary about retail, and yet maybe the data wasn't used to back that up. So take us back to pre, pre-pandemic. Um, how were we getting our commentary of retail wrong? I think that there's been a so if, if we track back um, to say 2007 because it's where the sort of the wave crash recovery sort of goes like the, so retail was flying in 2007 we opened I think seven shopping centers in 2007 there were 11 open in the Irish market everyone was happy everyone was dancing into the schemes because the Irish consumer was uh, their own on a wave of debt enjoying themselves in terms of spend um, that crashed in a way and we had a, what we described as a retail recession from. 09 to 13. Even though the country had recovered from, we can actually track it through our data to November 2013. I can be that precise because from November 2013 onwards for seven years, we had month on month, year on year growth in retail. Um, so we had a seven year retail boom because that's when you get seven years of growth. That's, that's what we normally call those things. But I can't pick up at any point during that seven years a particularly positive commentary on the sector. Um, we had Vacancy were eradicated largely. Um, rent started to go up. Turnovers went up um, dramatically. Like I have one example. I was looking back over the weekend at some of the numbers. We had one retailer in a non-Dublin fashion-based scheme whose turnover has gone up by three and a half times since um, late 07 to late 2022. So that's a, a, an amazing turnaround in terms of turnover. And yet I can't remember any um, commentary covering that. So we, we, we've emerged has been a high level of rent sustainability and that the, the, 
the basis which supports the rent, the ability of the retailer to pay it, is ultimately the sales going through the tills. And we've seen a, um, a pretty strong improvement in terms of that sustainability overall. Um, I can tell you, being being immersed in this industry, I've never heard of a seven-year retail boom during that period. So you're absolutely right. You know, the probably there wasn't reporting based on the data. But look, that, that's something that we know is changing now. Um, you know, obviously, week after week here, I, I'm kind of banging the drum about prop tech and uh you know construction technology and you know so much of it comes back to data 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 you know that we just previously didn't have the data now we do um i've introduced you as the executive chairman of bannon but you wear a number of different hats so you might just talk to us how um how you in your professional life are transitioning towards this uh technology driven side As you talk about um, technology and, and data, I think ultimately the two are weighted together from a prop tech perspective. I think the um, what we saw back in 2013 when I mentioned at the start of what we described as a retail boom, a lot of investors looking to come into the market, American investors, private equity and hedge funds, uh, who saw a recovery opportunity in Ireland, and they wanted data, and, and they wanted... So we had... Um, uh, I remember one American investor coming over and asking me for a a five-year cash flow on a unit-by-unit basis across portfolios to shopping centres. I sort of naively told them, well, we just no, we don't do that. We look, we just tell you what they're worth today in terms of look backwards. And he very succinctly told me that unless I was willing to do this, I wasn't working for him. So, um, so I quickly learned that I needed to gather the data and try and work out you know, how to answer a question like that. How do I tell them what, what the butcher will pay for the next five years, what the news agents pay, what the jewelers will pay? And that caused us to go off and collect the data on their performance. So we really started to get into the weeds in terms of how were these businesses functioning? What was their dynamic for being able to pay their rent or more rent or less rent? And we started hoovering up this data, partly because people gave it to us because during the recession, during 08 to 13, retailers were coming in and, and offering us the data in terms of their position um, because they wanted to discount the rent because they were paying us seven levels and they needed to to rebase their costs. Um, and then we had, we developed an internal um, software system to gather that data, report that data, because all of a sudden our clients weren't around the corner, they were in New York or they were in London, so they needed a basis of being able to get a very succinct dashboard-based reporting system that we could communicate to them in a very um, numeric way, the performance of their assets. Um, because that was then leading into a massive spreadsheet of assets across the globe these guys didn't care whether it was a canning factory in Sweden or a shopping centre in Dublin. It was all about performance of the assets. We then we used that, um, what we call it a prop tech solution in terms of our, our own bespoke sort of property reporting platform to sell our services to more uh, investors. And we found it regularly met with comments. I remember going to the UK to meet investors and um, um, guys who I thought would have access to this type of data themselves and they were dumbfounded by the ability to get so much data so quickly on their performance of their assets and it's been a very strong component of our growth of our business and to get such a large market share and sector because we've been this um, unhoovering up the data but the data in itself has no benefit unless you can present it in a legible format and analyze it to come to some recommendations and conclusions and that's why we have been um, 
so vociferous in terms of calling out um, inaccuracies we sometimes see in terms of the narrative around the sector. Like even last week, there was a comment upon uh, retail sales uh, falling for six months in a row. Get behind that data. Um, retail sales in October in Ireland were 6% higher than they were in October last year. The volumes are down, but the values are up. Uh, inflationary spending more money just for your money years when volumes were up and values were lower it was the values that were being reported on the volumes so the, the media will pick the story that suits the narrative um, and people are drawn towards that now, I'm not I'm not suggesting that isn't an impact negatively on the retail sector in terms of what's going on I'll give you a good example we um, a number of years ago back in 2014-15 when we had a number of uh, private equity investors in the US coming to invest in the Irish retail market. They, I remember meeting one particular investor and they asked me for a, a five-year projection of income on a tenant-by-tenant basis across the portfolio of six shopping centres. Uh, I said, we don't do that. You know, we, we tell you what they're worth today. We do valuations. You know, we look backwards. And he basically told me that if, if I wasn't willing to do it, I wouldn't be working for him. So I, I, that caused a sort of a, a trigger moment. It was a key moment. I remember that meeting because it, it really drilled home to me the whole importance of data and the fact that we had this data at our fingertips and we weren't using it effectively. So we looked at the data we've been given by retailers over the previous five years when they were distressed post the crash and pieced together a view as to the true sustainability of rent flow from retail going forward. And that's probably sort of highlighted the position that we've been pushing over the last number of years that you stop looking at the sort of headline narrative and start focusing on the true sustainability. That if if I've got a, a butcher who's paying 60 grand a year and he's turning a million a year, and the population is going up in the area, unless I see more competition coming into his fields, then that's going to be a very sustainable picture going forward, and I can track that income going going forward. If, by contrast, I've got someone in a, a fashion business which is suffering a lot of competition, um, or the demographics don't suit them going forward, then I've got to look more uh, questioning at that income going forward. And that's it's getting into those the weeds and that that's really been beneficial for us. So what we had to do was create then a, a prop tech solution, uh, a form of software that would allow us to gather that data efficiently because it's quite costly to spend time doing it and then present it to the client in a way that was assimilable to them uh, and they you know they wanted sort of the 30 second take you know show me the dashboard explain to me i'm going into a meeting to meet my my colleagues show me the six pieces of key data to tell me how well my client my my asset is performing and my portfolio is performing and then allow me straight into the weeds and that if need be we produced that, and that's been something that's been highly successful for us in terms of growing the business over the last number of years. That the ability to tell people the data about their assets, um, but that also provides us with an opportunity to analyze that data. You know, so if we know from our existing portfolio of a couple of thousand tenants what's working and what's not working, then if we're looking at buying a new shopping center for a client, we can analyze using that data. Okay, what is the prospect of this income flow? Enhancing, reducing, sustaining over a period of time, which allows them to make a decision about what what represents value. And um, Neil, you talked about the narrative that was prevailing. Uh, then you got the data that that actually showed the reality. But actually, the the negative uh, retail narrative that that continues and in fact only in recent days i heard you uh, kind of challenged on your positivity around the sector and i thought that you d- you dealt with it in in a very 
what I would say, uh, data-driven way, and that was to say, um, you know, the the claim was put to you that retail is failing, and you and you were adamant, no, retail is not failing, retailers are failing, and that's a very important distinction that maybe is being missed at the moment. Can you explain a little bit, just because this is something that's topical right now across, uh, certainly across uh, Dublin and Cork city centres? The big example for that is the impact of, of Brexit in terms of um, what we've seen since Brexit 2016 in the UK is a widespread failure of, of a lot of UK retailers, high street retailers, as they be called. If you call it out, you know, Debenhams on its own, plus House of Fraser, left a million square feet of bacon in the Irish market. That one failure. Imagine what it did in the UK market, where there was a Debenhams House of Fraser in every town across the UK. We also lost Top Shop, Top Man, Coast, Oasis, Burton's, Devons, Debenhams. Monsoon, the, the the list goes on, and so if you we've seen vacancy in the market, and those those are headline grabbing names. So the the narrative persists in terms of those failures, but they're not failing because of Ireland. They're failing because they're failing retailers because they went bust in the UK because of the problems they have over there, or because they were heavily leveraged through to the start buyouts. So we have a people will grab those headlines uh, and pay a lot of attention to them. And if you look at what's happened on Grafton Street, we've lost a lot of those key retailers over the last year. But we've done deals with Lululemon, Lego, Canada Goose, Russell Bomley, Penhaligans, Mont Blanc. These are very nice names, brands coming into the Irish market. We don't get much collective discussion about that. We get a lot of discussion about the failure. So I think the if, if you stand back and look at the... Um, Irish market versus the UK market. We're very different in terms of our makeup. Um, the vast majority, I think there's only seven or eight shopping centers in Ireland, significant that don't have a supermarket in them. We're very you know, convenience, grocery-based, necessity-based shopping, as we call it. We have very few um, traditional fashion-based high streets, which you would have an awful lot in the UK. We have four or five in Ireland. So the, we, they're reported in the same manner. Because there's a sort of drag across from the negative commentary in terms of the UK vacancy in the Irish market is is very very low, and that's something that I very heavily commentary on. But I say we manage quarter of Ireland stock, and our occupancy rates are in the high to mid nineties across the entire stock. And um, Neil, look, there's no getting away from the fact that e-commerce has changed retail. Um, but from what you're telling me, there's a real trend in what's Closing and what's exiting, uh, maybe high high street retail, and they're being replaced by very premium high end brands. Is this a trend? Like, what do you see when you're looking at uh, forecasting? And we, you know, we've just talked about the importance of forecasting. What are you seeing for the next five years of retail? I think the the, the, the brand is the most important word there, Carol. There is, you know, brand is is everything in terms of retail, and what you're seeing. If you look at the likes of uh, Debenhams by comparison to Brand Thomas, so two department stores, the, the Debenhams um, existence didn't add to the purchase. You went to the Debenhams, you bought an item, you might have bought a Top Shop item, or you might have bought a Coaster Waste item, but the, the Debenhams bag itself did not, the brand didn't add to the experience. The Brand Thomas bag adds, adds to the experience. You know, So and you see what Brand Thomas did when they took over uh, Arnott's they immediately position the Arnott's bag as something of the bright blue bag. It's very noticeable, everything else. The brand of the department store is adding to the overall experience and self, which is very successful over the years. So brand is brand is made for an omni-channel retailing world where you're, you're in-store, you're online, you're 
you're buying, you know, click and collect, you're returning, you buy something, you delivered home, you return it in store. So brand works very well in an online world because you know what you're getting, you know, and if you, uh, by contrast to that, if you don't have a strong brand, um, then you're, and you're trying to compete online, you're, you're nowhere. But if you look at the, the online narrative is interesting as well because there is a, it's overdone. Like the reality is, according to the CSO, 95% of all retail sales in Ireland still take place in store. Um, even in the UK, which is the absolute market leader in terms of online retailing, it's still low. 82% of retail sales take, to still take place in store. So the, the growth of it has sort of obsessed people in terms of its impact on the marketplace. But all that really is is a, an impact to supply demand dynamic. Okay. So in Irish context, sorry, Carol. No, continue. In Irish context, we 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 have very solid data from a long period of time over the impact of online sales. And if you ever want proof of this, go back to the pandemic. Shops closed, everyone bought online. Shops opened, we went back in the store. Yeah, uh, look, you know, I, well, I think the last uh, the last uh, three years have been particularly, or two and a half years, you know, have been a particularly strange time that's left us really not just questioning retail or the future of the office or the future of the workplace but even the future of how we design our homes um and what they will look like and how we use real estate because a lot of our perspectives are shifted and we just don't know yet it's too early to call how many of those changes are going to be uh permanent and so neil thank you so much for being so generous with your time i i suppose one final thing that i'm curious about before we finish up today you mentioned there that in terms of, you know, I, I thought that was a really building, a really interesting stat that you opened with today, you know, that of the 460 buildings on, on your database, uh, 400 were built in the last century and the remaining 60, most of those, you know, are coming up to two decades. Um, you also mentioned that uh, office is leading the charge in terms of the sustainability push. Where does this leave retail and the, I suppose, the physical buildings that retail occupy in terms of sustainability? Are you just seeing a massive retrofit or do you think that this is just going to fall off the radar in some way that it's going to be a case of barely compliance? I think retail's um, environmental performance is driven largely by what happens within the retailer's box themselves. So, the shopping center or the retail park doesn't use an awful lot of energy by comparison to what happens inside the store and how they source their products, how they dispose their products, how they deliver them, how they light their stores. You know, these are massive impacts in terms of environmental performance. At the moment, we're not seeing the consumer drive change there. So the consumer is faced with two stores and one is brightly lit by non-LED lighting and is almost warm to the touch. They'll go in there as happily as they'll go into the one next door that is environmentally fitted um, because they're driven by the product. We're not we haven't even seen, we've seen a lot of talk about the impact of fast fashion with um, environmental concerns. Again, the consumer's not following that up. If we saw the queues of people down the street, pennies when they reopened, we're not seeing an awful lot of consumer behavior that would indicate uh, a green drive despite this. So the corporates are doing it on the office side. The retailers will do it when the customers tell them to do it. And at the moment, um, customers aren't doing too much of that. Yeah, okay. So th- that's really going against a lot of the, the woke narrative that's out there at the moment. So it is a case of a make me pure, but not not just yet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Neil, 
Thank you so much uh, for being so generous with your time. Lots to take there. And it's definitely something I'd love to pick up with you again in a few months' time, particularly kind of on the PropTech side and the PropTech solution. But for now, thank you so much. That was Neil Bannon, Executive Chairperson of uh, Bannon. And we need to take a quick break now. Stay tuned.